Hey friends, welcome to Moments to Ponder. This is a podcast designed to help you spend a few moments in God's Word, wherever you are, and take away something to ponder. We live in a loud, busy world that can make it hard to find the time to get into God's Word, and so I'm grateful for these moments we have together. As we begin this new series, we're going to explore the book of Philippians, and I've entitled it Unveiling Joy. I'm Betsy Marvin, and this is episode 85. It's been a hot second since I put out a podcast. If you're listening new, welcome. Glad to have you as we dive into this new book of the Bible. And if you've been with me for a while, thank you for being there, even as I take time to ponder our next series together. So as we begin, can I ask you something? Okay, thanks. When was the last time you received a handwritten letter in your mailbox? Or even a card with a hand-addressed envelope? And then how did you feel when you saw that envelope in your mailbox? I don't know about you, but I get a feeling of anticipation when I open the mailbox and I see real mail. Not ads and bills, but real mail with a hand-addressed envelope and a colorful stamp. We call it snail mail because, well, it takes so much longer than an email to send. And if we want a quicker option, well, we just text. And if you're younger, you send a pic over Snapchat. I kind of feel like the wonder of letter writing is becoming a lost art. I mean, just ask someone under 20 years old to address an envelope, and a large percent of them won't even know how. Thank goodness for moms who made us send thank you notes, right? Now, I started dating my husband in the 80s while we were still in college, so before email. And we attended different schools about an hour apart, so we wrote letters. And I still have them. There's something about a paper letter. I mean, we can go back and reread it, carry it with us. We can even share it. And I know we can do that with email if we print it off. But when you hold a handwritten letter, it's just different. In this new series, we're going to be exploring a letter that was handwritten and hand-delivered to a group of people that would share it and cherish it because it came from someone they loved and who loved them. It's a letter full of joy, it does have a secret in there, and some advice. It's a personal letter that wasn't written so that it would end up in scripture someday. It was written to friends to say thank you and give encouragement to them in the city of Philippi. It was written by a man named Paul, and it became a part of our New Testament. We call it Philippians. So that's part of the context behind this letter, but there is a bit more that we should know. The letter was written around 6162 AD, and Nero was the Roman emperor at the time. This 30-year-ish old belief system called Christianity had just begun to spread across land and nations, even across oceans. The church is in the city of Philippi that's being written to, and that is along the coast of the Aegean Sea, which is north of Greece, in an area that was then called Macedonia. It was named after Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great. 
It was a Roman colony, so it had a large military force there because it was along the Via Ignatia, which is a Roman road that connects Greece with Asia. There is still a city there today. It's called Philippi, which is spelled very different than Philippi. This city was a walled place with a marketplace, an arena, full of the wonders of Greek culture, yet living within the safety of Roman citizenship. It would have been a city of non-Jewish people worshiping their emperor and other Roman gods. And if you Google it today, you'll see the landscape. This city is nestled between a mountain range and farmland with a river running alongside. It's actually a beautiful place. We first hear of Philippi in Acts 16, after Paul dreams of a man from Macedonia asking him to come and bring the good news of Jesus that they needed him. This led Paul to go there on his second missionary journey, and it became the first place in Europe to hear about Jesus. Now, from the Acts account, we discover that Paul's time in Philippi was pretty eventful. There, he and Silas, a fellow missionary, meet a businesswoman named Lydia, whose home becomes the first house church in the city. They also encounter a young slave girl in need of rescue from demons, leading them to a run-in with her owners which then lands them in prison. And while Paul and Silas are in prison, they're visited by an angel who unlocks the prison cell. But instead of running away, they share Jesus with the prison guard. And then he and his whole family are baptized. Now to fully understand who Paul is writing to, I encourage you to read the whole story in Acts 16. And according to one commentary, it's been about 11 years since Paul was with them as he writes this letter. Now, as he puts this pen to paper, he is again in prison. Now, there's a bit of a challenge as to whether Paul was in prison in Rome or in Ephesus due to the full accounting in Acts. But whichever one he was in, his situation would have been close to the same. He's chained to a guard, living under house arrest, with the palace Roman guard right there. He's able to have visitors and speak with them but he's not fed or cared for at all by those in charge. For that, he had to depend on family and friends for food, warm clothes, and other needs. Okay, so that sets us up. So let's dive in to chapter 1, verse 1. Paul begins his letter with this. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. What a wonderful greeting to start with. And we can see from the very first verse that Paul is not alone. Timothy, his disciple, and Ephrodotius, they're also with him. He calls himself and Timothy slaves of Christ Jesus. Other versions say bondservant or servants. And so, This doesn't quite translate for us today. Today, we know slavery as a harsh, negative, evil situation in our current world. Yet Paul wants to make it clear that they are devoted and bonded body and soul to Christ. He also gives us some insight into the church there. He writes to the church leaders and deacons, showing us a church that has become more organized with deacons who serve and church leaders who oversee. By addressing all these audiences, we discover that he has something to say to everyone 
as he writes this letter. As we move through this book, we become part of Paul's audience. As a part of the body of Christ, no matter what role you play in it, this letter has something for us today. And it starts right out in verse 3. Paul says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That's verses three through six. Now, these verses set the tone for the entire letter. Every time I think of you, I'm grateful, which leads me to pray. And when I pray for you, I'm filled with joy. What a wonderful thing to tell them. I mean, how would you feel if you got a letter that started like that? When I think of you, I am filled with gratitude and I am filled with joy. That would make me feel great. Now imagine the faces of those in the church when this letter was read. They would hear, I'm so thankful for you and you bring me joy. Joy. This letter will use that word so many times. We'll go into this more later on in different chapters, but let's remember where Paul is writing from. He's in prison, chained to a guard, unable to move about freely, humbly in need of the care of others to survive. And he has joy. Now in verse 6, Paul said, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now these words are key to the whole letter, to, to the joy. God started a good work and the work will continue until Jesus comes. Which brings to mind another verse that Paul wrote when he wrote the letter to the Romans. And he says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I've always wondered why Paul wrote these words to this group. Were they wondering if God had stopped working for their good? I mean, have you ever felt that way? Like, how can God use our current situation for good? Or maybe you found yourself wondering if God really does work for the good of those who love him, because it sure doesn't feel good right now. I mean, these are common questions that we ask. Life hands us a hard situation, or we see bad things happen to those we love, and we think, what is up, God? Don't you care? It can sometimes feel like God has stepped out for a bit when it comes to our lives. But what I'm learning from Paul as I work on this series is that in those moments of hard and hurt, he held on to what he knew of God, that God is good, that God knows the whole story, and that having Jesus is enough. And we can do that. We can hold on to what we know of God and remember that God's work doesn't mean we'll be happy or comfortable. His work is to make us more like Him. And as we become more like Him, that work of transformation within us, it isn't easy. No great work is. But it does lead us toward wholeness, forgiveness, and freedom. And that's the good work that will continue until Jesus comes. 
I know for me, it can be easy to lose sight of the true good work that he has done for me and in me when I look at my circumstances. Or I think of all the disease and abuse in our world, and I think, how is this ever going to be good? Because these things aren't good. Yet I think the work of God being spoken of here isn't circumstantial or even our health or safety. It's the internal, eternal work of transformation within us, and that's the good work. And Paul is reminding us and the Church of Philippi that God never leaves work undone. When we are discouraged, we need to remember that God doesn't give up. He promises to finish his work, and he is good. So Paul is telling us, don't let your current situation rob you of the joy of Jesus, the joy of knowing his love and forgiveness and freedom. He goes on in verse 7, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you, and I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Can you just hear the personal words of Paul as he shares his love for them all? We have no idea how much time he really spent with them. According to Acts 16, we get the impression it was just a few days. But later, in Acts 19 and 20, we read of another visit to Philippi. However long or short, this church had stood with him in hard times. And we read in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 11, more about the Philippian church and how they had supported Paul over his years in a variety of ways. These were precious people and filled Paul's heart with love and compassion, so much so that he continues in verse 9 to say, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. What a blessing and charge from Paul, their spiritual mentor and guide. They are words that tell us who they are. There are people who loved well, that were growing and learning, while also seeking to live lives that honored Christ. Hmm, there's a lot there. Oh, dear one, in whom do you find joy? Who do you thank God for? I challenge you as you walk through this day to ponder that. And do they know that they bring you joy? And now, may God fill you with a love overflowing more and more that grows in sincerity and intelligence. May you live for what really matters with character and purity, living a life that Jesus would be proud of, helping others see him through the fruit of your life. And may you do it all to bring glory and praise to God.
I look forward to our journey together as we seek to unveil the joy that Paul speaks of. May God bless your day. Amen.